You have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Current because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok Shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow, I could really use Current. I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All rise. Welcome to the Cyber Law and Business Report. Get the top story on the hot-button Internet legal topics of the day. This is your home for the latest on Internet law and policy. Hear the latest net trends impacting business and have your questions answered right here. This is the Cyber Law and Business Report. Now, please welcome your host, the founder of the Internet Law Center, Bennett Kelly. Good morning. This is Bennett Kelly. Welcome to another edition of Cyber Law and Business Report. We're broadcasting live here from the Internet Law Center here in the heart of Silicon Beach, downtown Santa Monica. Please be seated. We have a great show for you today. We have a a return friend to the show, Eric Goldman, professor at Santa Clara University, director of the High Tech Law Institute there, is joining us to talk about very important issues, SESTA and Communications Decency Act Section 230. Um, You may recall earlier this year we had Tiana Bien-Ami of the Coalition Against Trafficking in Women to give the pro-SESTA viewpoint, and um, Eric today is going to give us a, a decidedly different viewpoint. And um, Eric, good to have you with us. Yeah, thank you. Glad to be here. And I think the last time we were talking about CDA 230, we were actually on a panel together at the uh, IP and the Internet Conference in uh, 2015 or 2016 in San Francisco. So it's good to have you back. Um, so, Eric, tell us a little bit about you, what you do with Santa Clara and then the High Tech Law Institute. I'm a law professor here at Santa Clara University School of Law. We're located right in the heart of the Silicon Valley, just a few minutes from downtown San Jose and from the San Jose airport. Um, And my areas of interest focus on internet law, intellectual property, and advertising law. Um, I teach uh, those topics and the courses uh, for students, and I also uh, blog on those topics um, for um, my uh, blog at uh, the Technology Marketing Law blog. Um, otherwise, the High Tech Law Institute is our umbrella organization that coordinates all the things uh, that we do for students and for the local community um, related to high tech law. Uh, we have a pretty large population of students and alums uh, in the area, given our location, that's not surprising. Um, so uh, our job is to continue to provide uh, support for their needs um, and help them uh, develop themselves professionally and personally. And I will note, you, you do the blog often with Venkat. And Venkat was recently on the show. And, and for listeners of the show, if you're, if you're really interested in 
internet law issues. I, I think Eric's blog is, is the preeminent blog in the space. And so you definitely want to check it out. We do have links to the blog and Eric's Twitter feed and all that on, on the show notes, which are at cyberlawradio at wordpress.com. So, Eric, um, Communications Decency Act, Section 230, that's um, a, a familiar topic to you. I, I explain, walk us through what it is and why it's so important. In 1996, Congress enacted a law that was actually part of the Telecommunications Act of 1996, which was a pretty broad-based effort by Congress to update the laws of the telecommunications sector um, for the next generation. Um, Part of that law included a thing called the Communications Decency Act, which was Congress's first attempt to regulate the Internet. And it basically attempted to criminalize Uh, the availability of online pornography to children. Um, Communications Decency Act was driven uh, by concerns that kids were having too easy access to pornography online, um, and therefore Congress thought it could fix that problem through legislation. Uh, The legislation was not well drafted. Uh, The legislation uh, did not survive a constitutional challenge. Um, And so ultimately, Congress's efforts to regulate online pornography went into what I'll call a dead end. As part of the Communications Decency Act, there was another law that had a very different feel and different genesis, really. Uh, And the law said, and I'm going to summarize in English, that websites aren't liable for third-party content. And it creates the model that if somebody uploads content online or shares or publishes content online, they're responsible for that. But then the people who help uh, disseminate that content or help get that content into other people's hands are not equally liable. This is a pretty radical concept because so much of our law is predicated on the idea that um, if you touch uh, somebody else's content, you could be equally liable for it. Um, But here Congress said something different, and it said websites are liable for third-party content, and that premise has become the foundation of our modern Internet. And and basically it it kind of made a decision that creating forums and having robust debate is, is a public good. Unquestionably, uh, Section 230 advances um, the social discourse. I think about it as a First Amendment enhancing statute. The Constitution ensures a minimum level of discourse through the First Amendment. That's what we protect as free speech. But legislatures, like Congress, are free to do something more to enhance speech than the constitutional minimum. And Section 230 is an example of that. Section 230 says we're going to take extra efforts to insulate people from liability with the hope that they are going to do the socially beneficial work to to improve the overall discourse in our society. In fact, the CDA says the rapidly developing array of internet and other interactive computer services available to excuse me, individual Americans represent an extraordinary advance in the availability of educational and informational resources to our citizens. And so that that's really what um, CDA 230 is trying to advance. Now Jump forward to the issue of sex trafficking and Backpage. Um, Backpage is, is, I guess, the preeminent site now that is still in operation where there is a high degree of ads for, um, for lack of a better word, I guess, sexual services. 
Yeah. So let's just go back to Section 230 for a moment. Uh, Congress enacts a law that encourages a higher uh, quantity of speech online than might otherwise exist with a different liability regime. So in part of doing that, we know we're going to get some really good stuff, but we're also going to uh, enable and allow some stuff that we probably wouldn't want. Um, and so it's not surprising at all that there's going to be at the edges a bunch of sites doing things that we don't really want. And in part, that becomes some of the consequences of having enabled all the things that we do want. Um, Backpage might be an example of that. Backpage has built a site that is, uh, includes a very active forum for the marketing of uh, prostitution online. Um, and there are other sites that have done that in the past. There are other sites that still do that. But Backpage remains one of the places that's most commonly associated with the promotion of online prostitution. Well, it is interesting to note that there are other sites that have done that, but, but some of them have been shut down for uh, on sex trafficking. Your Red Book, for example. Um, they they were shut down by by the feds a, a few years ago. So it's not like it's the first one. You know, no other other sites haven't tried this and 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 escaped liability entirely. Um, Craigslist had it for a while, but I think um, Craig Newbark didn't like being called the nation's largest pimp, and he just got out of the market. Um, so you know, there are are those factors going on. But just to jump back to to two thirty for a second. All 230 is saying is that the websites aren't liable for third-party content. People who post content are still liable for their own content. That's correct. Right. So the Section 230 tries to divide the world into what I'll call first-party content and third-party content. The, if it's first-party content, the person who, who originates that content, they accept full liability. Section 230 doesn't change anything about that. But if that content is third-party content to a content republisher, then Section 230 protects them. And, and so people have tried to go after Backpage and have run into CDA 230 as an obstacle. There was a case in 2015 in federal court in Massachusetts where um, a victim of sex trafficking um, sued Backpage. And basically the court, which was a, a decision affirmed by the uh, First Circuit, said Congress has made the determination that the balance between suppression of trafficking and freedom of expression should be struck in favor of the latter, insofar as the internet is concerned. Put aside the moral judgment that one might pass on Backpage's business practice, this court has no choice but to adhere to the law that Congress has seen fit to enact. And so that created this tension between sex trafficking, anti-sex trafficking activists and the CDA 230, which I think um, only progressed as there was a, a congressional investigation by the Senate uh, Investigation Subcommittee into Backpages that actually saw that Backpages was actively playing a role in sex trafficking, including sex trafficking of minors. Uh, Backpage has been sued many times for its role in running advertising for prostitution. Um, the ads are third-party content to Backpage. So Section 230 seemingly applies without a whole lot of fuss. And that's how many courts have treated the matter. Um, however, uh, there's a number of reasons why Section 230 is not the end of the discussion. And we're happy, we can discuss that now or, or later. Um, but, uh, you know, uh, Section 230 doesn't 
uh, guarantee that Backpage can continue running its business as it sees fit. It simply means that if the lawsuit is premised on third-party content, Section 230 will provide its uh, significant immunization from that liability. Right. And so uh, we'll, we'll get to the, because I want to talk about your testimony a little bit, so we'll get to that aspect in a little bit. But um, so California actually prosecuted and arrested in a very big, high-profile uh, manner, arrested the CEO of Backpage and in Texas and brought him to California and, and charged him essentially with pimping. And that complaint was thrown out under CDA 230. But they then came back, and now I think they're they're pursuing a money laundering uh, complaint against them. And so you're you're seeing this growing crescendo of activity against Backpage and uh, the Senate investigation that found that um, 93% of their ad revenues stem from this adult section, and that they're actually tr- were involved in massaging the ads to um, try to stay under the radar, so to speak. Um, So then that kind of led to this push. And the the Senate investigation was led by um, Senator um, Portman of Ohio, and his ranking member, the Democrat, um, was um, Claire McCaskill of Missouri. And that's kind of where the genesis for SESTA came about. Uh, can we just go back to the California sure. prosecution? Because sure. I think there are some, some lessons to learn there. In 2013, then California Attorney General uh, Kamal Harris uh, said to Congress in a letter, we can't prosecute Backpage. Section 230 ties our hands. Um, and then despite that, a couple of years later, she brings a prosecution against Backpage um, that seems to run squarely into the Section 230 immunity that she said applied. And the first ruling, the court said, there is no uh, um, uh, uh, ability to prosecute here because of Section 230, just like you said there would be. Right. Um, and then what was so weird is that I can interrupt you she one tried second. again. She was she was in the middle of a campaign for the United States Senate at that time too. Just as a side note, but please go ahead. Yeah, well, true. On the other hand, though, this is a long-standing issue for her. So I don't know that she was doing it solely for the brownie points with the populace. Um, this was also obviously something that was a, a, a key part of her overall portfolio um, as attorney general. Um, so she, her office tried again, and they prosecuted again, which was a little bit confusing to me. I didn't really know you could do that. Um, and I'm not an expert in criminal procedure and double jeopardy, but it would seem so odd that they said they were going to lose, they brought the prosecution, they lost, and then they tried again. Um, and the court again said, as you described, that that um, Backpage could not be treated as a pimp under California's anti-prostitution laws. Um, Section 2, they precluded that treatment. But the California court did say that there was a possibility that Backpage uh, could be prosecuted for money laundering. I don't know. I'm not an expert in money laundering either. I don't really understand the parameters of that crime. Um, but the court said that was not covered by Section 230. And so it's all been so bizarre that um, uh, on the one hand, Section 230 has hampered the California Attorney General's office as they thought it would. On the other hand, they found a potential vector of, of prosecution that gets around Section 230 without any changes to the existing Section 230 immunity. And so um, we're not quite 
quite sure what to make of that. It doesn't, does this mean this is good or bad news about the state's ability to prosecute a site like Backpage? And uh, Senator Portman has repeatedly said, this is all bad news. Section 230 makes it impossible to get Backpage. And people like me think, well, they actually did find a way to get around Section 230. Maybe Section 230 isn't as all-encompassing as its uh, opponents seem to claim. Well, why don't we talk then about, because you raised this in your testimony to the committee, you know, there is a pending federal investigation into Backpage. There is. So uh, there's a grand jury that's been convened in Phoenix that is investigating Backpage. It's been doing it now for quite a while. And that's a little bit unusual, I understand, from experts in grand jury procedure. We're not quite sure why it's taking so long. But um, when I said that websites aren't liable for third-party content, um, there are a couple of statutory exclusions, and one of them is federal criminal prosecutions. If the U.S. Department of Justice chooses to bring a prosecution against Backpage, Section 230 simply doesn't apply. It, by its own terms, uh, becomes irrelevant to that prosecution. You mentioned the prosecution against My Red Book, and there was another prosecution against Rent Boy. Uh, both of these were online prostitution advertising sites, and in both cases, the Department of Justice prosecuted them under standard pros- uh, uh, anti-prostitution laws, um, and Section 230 was irrelevant, even to the extent that they were publishing third-party ads. The federal prosecution took Section 230 and, and put it by its side. So if the Department of Justice were to prosecute Backpage, as they've asked a grand jury to help them decide whether or not to do, Section 230 would also be relevant. And it's curious that, as you said, it has taken some time and, and there's only one grand jury. Any, any insights on to where this might go? Uh, I don't, unfortunately. Um, All I can say is that it it would be mind-boggling to me that the Department of Justice isn't fully aware of the concerns about Backpage. At this point, they've gotten so many inquiries from senators and from uh, uh, members of Congress and from the public. Um, I can't imagine that they aren't aware of the stakes involved. But the Department of Justice uh, is, is likely really trying to make sure that if they can bring a prosecution, they know they can win. And so my guess is that the delays are them really vetting this question. What is What are the boundaries of the federal crimes, and how will we apply it to Backpage's circumstance? And if we're not confident that we can apply it, then we're not going to go and just pull the trigger on the prosecution and see what happens. Um, so I think this reflects their meticulousness, um, for better or worse. And, and there is one point that you know, for listeners who may not be familiar with grand juries, and, and hopefully none of us have firsthand experience with grand juries, but uh, they are bound by secrecy. You know, grand jurors are not allowed to discuss the matters, and you know, witnesses, I believe, are, are subject to secrecy as well. And, and so you're not going to hear a lot about what is happening until it happens. Correct. It's effectively a black box for all of us. We have no idea what's going on in that grand jury. That's the design of the grand jury system. Um, but it does make it a little frustrating because we'd like to know, does the DOJ think they got a pretty good case? They just want confirmation? Or is the DOJ struggling, in which case maybe they need some extra help, whether that's an additional labor or additional uh, investigatory tools or in new crimes? And correct me if I'm wrong, if you're a witness before the grand jury, your lawyer is wel- is wel- welcome to walk you to the door of the courthouse, but you go in alone when you testify. 
Uh, my apologies. Uh, that now has stretched my knowledge of grand jury <laughs> procedure. That's quite all right. Um, so um, we only we're going to take a short break, um, but when we come back. We're going to talk more about the CDA two thirty and SESTA. This this dealing with sex trafficking after these messages. You're listening to Cyber Law and Business Report only on webmasterradio.fm. Stay tuned for more of the Cyber Law and Business Report after this brief recess for our sponsors. Do you look at the task of ranking your site at the top of the search engines like you would climbing the top of Mount Everest? It doesn't have to be. TopSEOs.com knows how hard that climb can be, and they can make top ranking a reality. Top SEOs send you to only the right search vendors and agencies that they know will work for you. Since 2002, TopSEOs.com has reviewed and researched the best search engine marketing agencies and solutions providers. Don't risk the cost of falling off the proverbial peak of search rankings. Let Top SEOs give you peace of mind. TopSEOs.com, the independent authority on search vendors. WebmasterRadio.fm is the destination for education, entertainment, and engagement. Engage with our panel of on-air experts and peers by following us on Facebook, Google+, Twitter, and LinkedIn. You can listen to WebmasterRadio.fm on air or on demand from our website or through iTunes, Stitcher, or however you get your podcasts. Interact and stay informed. Just search for WebmasterRadio.fm. Are you looking for the best in WordPress speed, security, and scalability? WP Engine is a digital experience platform for WordPress, powering digital experiences for large brands around the world. With easy-to-use site management tools and powerful do-it-your-way development features, WP Engine gives you the flexibility to build it your way. Improve your SEO and conversion rates with a faster site on WP Engine. Learn more on WPEngine.com. The best gavel-to-gavel legal news and information on the net is right here. This is the Cyber Law and Business Report, only on webmasterradio.fm. And we're back, and we're talking with Eric Goldman. Um, he's the director of the High Tech Institute at Santa Clara University Law School. And um, we're talking about CDA 230 and SESTA. And before we were, um, both of us were kind of overstretching our our reach and um, delving into what we remembered in criminal law and explaining grand juries. But and so the issue of of the back page has percolated now into a bill, um, which has been authored by Senator Portman of Ohio and. it, and as well as this one in the House that we'll talk about in a minute, but it's the Stop Enabling Sex Traffickers Act of 2017. Can you, can you explain to us what exactly SESTA does? Uh, SESTA has three main components uh, to it. Um, it uh, first tries to create an exclusion for state attorney generals 
to bring prosecutions of sex trafficking without Section 230's restriction. So to the extent that the state attorneys general think that there's sex trafficking being enabled by a website, and the website might argue anything that is going on here is third-party content, we're not liable, Section 230 would not be a defense for, uh, the, uh, for the website against that state attorney general prosecution. Currently, under the existing rule, the federal criminal prosecutions are not covered by Section 230, but state criminal prosecutions are. So the state attorneys generals are handcuffed in their ability to uh, get around Section 230. This would uh, loosen the handcuffs for any sex trafficking-related uh, prosecutions. The uh, second category is it would enable uh, victims of sex trafficking to bring civil claims against websites that um, uh, again, enable sex trafficking promotions and would otherwise be eligible to claim Section 230 as a defense. And the third, ahead, I'm, I'm sorry, sorry, let me just finish. The, the third category of changes is that it would expand the scope of the existing federal crimes related to sex trafficking. Um, it would create a, a larger boundary of what constitutes criminal behavior. And of course, that's also not covered by Section 230 um, because federal crimes are excluded from Section 230's coverage. So right. it would reduce uh, the state attorney's general uh, um, uh, restrictions by Section 230, civil plaintiff's restrictions by Section 230, and it will expand federal crimes that are not covered by Section 230. Now, the incesta itself in the stat, you know, in the the statutory language, it it, it states that um, CDA 230 was never intended to provide legal protection to websites that facilitate traffickers and advertising the sale of unlawful sex acts with sex trafficking victims. Let's clarify that for a moment. Um, it's true that to the extent that uh, a website is engaging in federal criminal violations, Section 23 was never designed to cover that by its own terms. It says explicitly exactly. that federal criminal prosecutions are not covered, um, and therefore, to the extent that any of the discussion about sex trafficking um, uh, relates to federal crimes, um, Section 230 should not apply. I think everyone is in agreement on that. There's really no controversy about that piece. Um, the harder part is that there are situations where it is unclear if something on uh, some piece of third-party content might be considered a promotion for sex trafficking. And in that circumstance, Section 230 might absolutely be designed to apply because of the lack of clarity. So um, to the extent that the, uh, the reference only seeks to restate that federal crimes are not covered by Section 230, no controversy. To the extent that the statement is to tend to say, we think that there's lots of things that should create liability, even if we don't know ultimately in the end that they relate to sex trafficking, I think that's actually quite a controversy statement. Now, um, you testified against the bill. You actually went to a hearing before um, Senator Portman, Senator Blumenthal, and and testified on the issue. Was that the first time you testified before Congress? Uh, it was my second time. Uh, okay. I testified in both cases in front of the Senate Commerce Committee. The first time was on the Consumer Review Fairness Act uh, back in 2015. And and just in the side note, have you seen the the C-SPAN video? The uh, there's uh, someone over, over your shoulder. I believe it's the general counsel of the Internet Association who seems to be making these uh, the oddest faces as you speak. 
Uh, you know what? It's one of those things. I just can't watch video of myself. I'm sure it's brilliant, <laughs> but to me, it sounds terrible. So, no, I actually have not brought myself to watch the, the video over. I did live it firsthand. I have some pretty vivid memories yeah, in my I, mind, I, I, but I, I did not see what was taking place behind me. I can imagine. No, it is vivid. I mean, I, I recall testifying in Sacramento um, a couple of a couple of occasions, and it was quite vivid. So, um, when you testified before the Senate Commerce Committee, there was a couple number of points you made, and why don't you walk us through what what were your your main objections to SESTA? Well, uh, so. The, the number one question that I have about SESTA is, does it actually help victims of sex trafficking? This is really essential because I'm not excited about saying, well, uh, we'll help victims of sex trafficking, but it'll come at the cost of free speech. So how are we going to balance those two issues? I'm, I'm not really comfortable with that kind of um, uh, framing because it really I don't know how we, we, we balance the, the harms that are suffered by victims of sex trafficking. We have to make sure that we're doing the very best we can for them. There are a number of reasons to believe that SESTA doesn't advance that goal. And the main thing I, I focused on in my Senate testimony is that Section 230 has enabled uh, online services to undertake the socially valuable efforts to clean up content. Now, sites like Backpage might arguably not be doing enough to clean up content. But there are a lot of legitimate mainstream sites that are really trying hard to get rid of objectionable and harmful content, including promotions of sex trafficking. And the question I've raised to, raised to Congress is whether SESTA, with its particular provisions, might discourage websites and other online services from taking those socially valuable efforts to um, uh, clean up objectionable content. And here's the dystopian outcome that I, I worry about is that SESTA creates enough liability to discourage sites from cleaning up sex trafficking promotion. So instead of them getting rid of sex trafficking promotions, they just open up the floodgates for whatever bad content might be posted by third parties. They'll avoid liability under the terms of the law, but they'll actually be hurting victims of sex trafficking by, by expanding the number number and scope of the promotions that are now online. So this is the kind of thing where Congress is messing with some really powerful forces. Our goals are all the same. We want to help victims of sex trafficking. But if we turn off efforts to clean up promotion of sex trafficking, we might actually be hurting victims. And just to make clear, when you, the concern is that by enacting in the Good Samaritan capacity, under CDA 230, a you know, website acting as a responsible citizen and cleaning up its websites and, and addressing you know, objectionable content, that in doing so, it might be on notice that there is um, sex trafficking or something that would trigger liability under SESTA, and that in itself could make them liable. Or even if they cooperate with law enforcement, that in itself could trigger liability because now they're on notice. SESTA creates uh, additional risk of liability for knowingly doing things that relate to sex trafficking. And that raises the question, when does a online service know that it has objectionable content? Or when does it know that it is facilitating or helping its users accomplish their criminal ends? And these are questions that we haven't really explored in much detail 
because Section 230 made him irrelevant. Section 230 doesn't turn on the knowledge of the defendant. It applies whether the defendant knew that there was a problem or didn't know. And so we've never really had the case law to help us understand when this thing that a site does to try and clean up objectionable content counts as knowledge that could lead to liability. Section 230 made that irrelevant. SESTA raised that same question that we haven't asked for the last 20 plus years and rate made the risk that the things that sites are doing would in fact give it the knowledge that would create the liability um, that uh, discourages sites from taking those efforts. Right. Just precisely for the reason to avoid knowing. And, and as it stands now, there are a number of sites that cooperate with law enforcement. And I believe even Backpage cooperates with law enforcement to an extent. Is that, is that not correct? Um, so I'm not an expert in exactly what Backpage is doing to work with law enforcement. They have certainly claimed that they work extensively with law enforcement and that they've uh, taken many efforts to try and reduce the exposure of sex trafficking victims. Now, another one of your objections is these, is creating this new carve-out for state laws dealing with sex trafficking. And can you explain a little bit of why that's of concern? There are a couple of problems with states trying to regulate the internet. Um, first is that state law in general is a little bit rougher edged than federal law. Um, in other words, um, uh, state legislators aren't subject to the same kind of grinding by lobbyists that we see in federal um, uh, in, in, in Congress. And while that may sound like a bad thing, what it, what all that grinding by lobbyists does is make sure that there's a lot of eyeballs on anything that Congress passes and that all the edge cases have been properly vetted and discussed and thought about before a bill becomes law. Um, without the same kind of grinding pressure in state uh, legislatures, we see laws passed that don't really anticipate all the full range of ways that they might be applied, and therefore they create lots of edge cases that the legislators didn't expect and that c can create real problems for people. So once we go from the, the, the federal law to state law, we expose a large number of less well thought through laws that are not really ready for prime time on the internet. The more important piece is that if different laws exist throughout the country that are all intended to be governed by, uh, that all tend to govern a single website trying to decide what to do, the variability in state law makes it difficult or impossible for a website to know how to proceed. That means they have to do 50 research projects where they might have only had to do one. And it means that they might have different or conflicting instructions based on what they find in that research. So so the multiplicity of state laws and their inconsistency with each other makes it extremely difficult for an online service trying to cater to a national audience to actually do the work that would allow it to comply with all those laws. And normally, we don't run into that. Section 230 has eliminated the variability in state law and created a single federal standard. SESTA has had the capacity to open up again the the potential risk of state-by-state -state variation with all of the the uh, adverse consequences for online services. Now, I'll add that SESTA was recently amended to reduce that risk. Um, and so if the SESTA amendment sticks, um, that particular concern is uh, has, has gone down on the priority list. And you know, there's also a concern that uh, someone could use the, the phrase sex trafficking 
as a backdoor to regulate far more than sex trafficking. Um, yeah, absolutely. Uh, the way that SESTA was initially drafted, it created the possibility that states would say, uh, we are regulating sex trafficking, but we're doing so in a way that touches a much larger class of content. I think that the more recent amendments to SESTA have also made that difficult to, to do. So I'm, I'm hopeful that that particular risk has also been mitigated. Now, you, you mentioned the more recent amendments. Before we go there, when, when you your testimony obviously was definitely against the, the bill and and prior to the amendments um, there was pretty broad industry opposition to SESTA uh, most notably coming from the Internet Association the Interactive Advertising Bureau um, NetChoice um, Internet Infrastructure Coalition it was just a, a broad Internet Society a broad overall industry opposition to SESTA and um, basically Engine who has been on this show um, they said holding platforms liable if they have knowledge of certain user activity will discourage websites from partnering with law enforcement um, the Internet Association said that while not intent the intention of the bill would create a new wave of frivolous and unpredictable actions against legitimate companies rather than address lying, addressing underlying criminal behavior. And I think that's that's an important point, too, because we just saw Wikipedia just came out and said SESTA could put them out of business because, you know, if they're, they don't have, we had a, a, the prior guest we had on the show who talked about this said, well, it's, it's pretty obvious what sex trafficking is. And and large sites may have the tools to determine what is what is not sex trafficking content. The smaller sites don't have you know, the resources or, or the bandwidth to do that. And, and so there are going to be a lot of opportunistic lawyers who are going to try to exploit that. And if you're a smaller site, you know, this could be very damaging. Uh, the opposition to SESTA in the Internet community was universal. Um, there were some, quote, tech companies that came out in favor of uh, SESTA, but none of them had any real presence in the user-generated content space. So they might be familiar with computer hardware, but they didn't really understand the Internet issues. Um, and their, op their, their support for SESTA was just part of the whole uh, narrative, um, trying to create a false narrative that there was some people in the tech community in support of it. There really wasn't. Um, and, uh, and the, the internet community opposed it uh, for a wide range of reasons, but you touched on several good ones, including, I think most importantly, the possibility that the big companies have greater exposure because they have more content to manage, but they also have greater resources to build industrial grade solutions to try and solve the problem. The smaller companies have a smaller amount of content to deal with, but they also may have many or no resources available to address the problem. And in those cases, that puts the squeeze on the smaller companies to the side. Are we going to build industrial-grade solutions just like the big boys at substantial expense if we can afford it? Or maybe we can't afford it, and this means we need to go out of business. 
or we're going to just turn off all of our efforts to moderate content, just like we discussed earlier in the show, that we're going to say we won't gain, do anything that will give us, quote, knowledge of the content on our site, and so we'll just let it turn into a free-for-all. Um, so the smaller companies really are the ones that are, are um, uh, feeling the pressure of SESTA because they don't have the resources that the bigger companies have, and yet they have all the, the liability risk. And, and just in the law of the jungle – you know, prey doesn't go after the biggest and strongest. They go after the weaker ones. And and so, you know, an opportunistic lawyer may not necessarily want to sue Google or Facebook, but he may want to go after, you know, something smaller like Wikipedia. I've always had a difficult time wrapping my head around uh, that. We know that plenty of lawyers have sued Backpage and have been going after Backpage. Um, but it wasn't clear to me if... Um, there would be other targeted defendants beyond Backpage. Um, I just am not clear about that. Uh, so for me, I am concerned about that risk, but I don't know how to prioritize it on the risk uh, on the list of concerns. Then we're going to go in, go into the, uh, the the amendments in a second. But we talked about the kind of unanimous internet opposition to the bill, and then all of a sudden you have the industry being pounded on the whole Russian scandal and the, the publishing of um, you know ads that were paid for in rubles and all and at the same time there's also antitrust issues with you know Google and others you know being the subject of focus on kind of antitrust issues and, and concentration of power and as this the heat is you know, getting hotter for them on those issues, all of a sudden you see them retreating on SESTA. You know, wh- wh- what is your assessment as to why that happened? Uh, yeah, so to be clear, um, when um, uh, the amendments to SESTA were announced, um, uh, shortly thereafter, uh, the Internet Association, which represents a number of the biggest Internet companies, uh, uh, flipped and uh, said, we're no longer opposing SESTA. In fact, we now support it. And uh, many of the other participants in the Internet community were pretty upset about that uh, because it seemed like they, the, the big companies that back the Internet Association were willing to burn the rest of the industry in order to protect their position. But on the other hand, the Internet Association didn't have a lot of choice here. As you mentioned, uh, Congress has got the uh, Internet companies in their sites on multiple fronts, and um, uh, the Internet companies don't really care about whatever uh, uh, money they might be making incidentally from online prostitution promotion or from sex trafficking promotion, they don't want that content in the first place. They would, they would love to be able to wave a magic wand and just get rid of that. But the other things Congress are thinking can go straight to their core economic uh, model and could very well put significant uh, constraints on their economic uh, uh, well-being. And so the internet companies who are members of the Internet Association did, I think, a fairly logical calculus. We don't really want to defend sex trafficking promotion. That's not really uh, um, uh, uh, important to us uh, to defend it. Um, what we really want to do is make sure Congress doesn't do anything stupid on the things that are our core economic engine. And that's, yeah, so Seth is the bridge too far. Let's let's focus on our, our base and we're going to focus right now on taking a word from our sponsors. So we'll be back after these messages. You're listening to Cyber Law and Business Report only at webmasterradio.fm. 
Stay tuned for more of the Cyber Law and Business Report after this brief recess for our sponsors. Book lovers and hundreds of compelling contemporary authors are heading to Miami for the 34th Annual Miami Book Fair, Friday, November 17th through Sunday, November 19th. See in person amazing authors, including Vice President Joe Biden, Senator Al Franken, Russell Banks, Michael Eric Dyson, Armistead Malpin, Angela J. Davis, Scott Turo, Walter Isaacson, and many more. The 34th Annual Miami Book Fair. For more information, visit MiamiBookFair.com. Hi, I'm Montel Williams. Most of you know me as a talk show host, but I'm also an author, actor, single father of four, avid snowboarder, and I'm also a medical marijuana patient. Living with multiple sclerosis, I'm in pain every day. Medical marijuana is my last resort, and it helps me when all other drugs have failed. If you'd like more information about medical marijuana, you can contact the Marijuana Policy Project at mpp.org or call 1-877-JOIN-MPP. There are over 70 million active podcast listeners in the U.S. WebmasterRadio.fm reaches them all with the largest global distribution of any online business-to-business podcast network. Through iHeartRadio, iTunes, Stitcher, we can target and place your message in front of those active listeners immediately. Now, your message can be delivered with less commitment and investment on over 20 hours of weekly original content hosted by the most respected names in digital marketing. Email sales at webmasterradio.fm today and get your message delivered now. The best gavel-to-gavel legal news and information on the net is right here. This is the Cyber Law and Business Report, only on webmasterradio.fm. And we're back, and we're talking with Eric Colpin about SESTA. And before the break, we were talking about how the Internet Association and the industry, by and large, um, flipped and now supported the bill. And we're going to talk a little bit about the, the what changes were made, do you think, that made them more comfortable? Uh, so uh, there were um, uh, some what I call overall relatively minor changes to SESTA. Um, the basic architecture of the bill didn't change. There's still the enabling of state attorneys generals to bring prosecutions without running into Section 230. And still the civil plaintiffs would have the ability to uh, bring their lawsuits without running Section 230. And still there would be expansion of the federal crime uh, to cover more situations um, and define them as sex trafficking. Um, so that structure didn't change, but within each of those, there were little changes to the wording that, that had some pretty big impacts on the scope of the bill. So, for example, the bill made it clear that there couldn't be 50 different state sex trafficking laws applicable to an Internet actor. There would be only one federal standard. Um, so it took care of that state law problem. Um, and there were some tweaks to the, to the level of knowledge that would be required before for a site could be liable. And that tweak, though it isn't perfect, gave a little more comfort that um, it was unlikely that at least the big companies were likely were going to trigger it. Um, and so there are a couple other little changes like that that 
just changed some words around, but ended up really, I think, um, uh, uh, taking care of the, the, the biggest concerns by the biggest internet companies. And that's when they, they were more uh, comfortable taking the position. We never wanted to be in, in bed with sex trafficking uh, promotions. We don't want them. We, we don't think we're going to face uh, a, a huge legal risk with these changes, and we need to go and, and get Congress to, to back off. Um, and so it was the combination of the stress on the other side, plus these changes that took out the roughest edges of SESTA that encouraged the internet companies to flip. And with that flip, the SESTA sailed through the Senate Commerce Committee unanimously. But then here's here's where another another twist comes about, where you have Ron Wyden, who was the author of CDA 230, puts a uh, procedural move and puts a hold on the bill so that it, it can't come up to a vote without, uh, I believe it's like 60 votes in to get it to a, to bring it for consideration. And he has con- great concerns about SESTA. And, um, you know, he believes that um, he's troubled that the bill's approach will make it harder to catch dangerous criminals, that it will favor big tech at the expense of startups, and that it will stifle innovation. What's your thoughts about Wyden's move? Uh, I'm not surprised that he did it. Uh, Senator uh, Wyden has uh, been a champion for free speech online for decades. Um, So his track record uh, on uh, this uh, question is clear and strong. Um, and of course, it, it, Section 230 is one of his key legislative accomplishments. If you think about it from his uh, uh, from his life's perspective, he says, "What have I done that has has made a difference um, in the world?" And Section 230 is going to rank really, really highly on his list of life's accomplishments. And so, um, it has to be difficult for him to see Congress making moves that might undercut one of these really uh, uh, significant accomplishments, not only for the U.S. generally, but for him personally. Um, So the question is whether his hold will make a difference. The challenge is that as of today, I believe there are 46 senators co-sponsoring SESTA. They're getting close to having the, 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 the votes just among people who have affirmatively co-sponsored the bill. Um, so the, the number of people who are going to line up behind Senator Wyden if he, if he then fights the, uh, the bill procedurally is, is, is becoming an ever-shrinking pool. And it's a tough thing to vote against. I mean, that's the problem. Do you want <laughs> you can you can picture the campaign ad, you know, the guy with that really deep voice and he voted against, you know, stopping sex trafficking online. And who wants who wants to make that vote? I mean, I bet you nope, some people are, are I bet you some people nobody. are happy why didn't put the hold. They're like, Thank God I don't have to vote on this. Well, they may have to vote on it anyway, but absolutely, uh, the 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 narrative that the bill creates is that either you are for sex trafficking victims or against them, and you pick. Um, and every legislator faced with that pick is going to say with enthusiasm, I want to help sex trafficking victims. It's not even a positioning thing. It's probably in their heart. They want to help sex trafficking victims. That's why earlier in this, this interview, we talked about the fact, I have questions whether this bill actually help sex trafficking victims. The narrative that the bill creates might be false. It might not be, yes, on SESTA means, yes, I want to help sex trafficking victims. It might mean, yes, on SESTA is hurting sex trafficking victims. 
and therefore the narrative is 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 leading Congress in potentially the wrong direction. Um, but absolutely, because the narrative is currently framed, you are for or against sex trafficking victims. It really is no question for the legislators. Now we haven't talked about the House bill, but you actually believe the House bill is even worse. The House bill has more stuff, and it has rougher edges. Um, and so uh, I think that the, the House bill, as it's currently uh, introduced, uh, would take SESTA and actually make it even worse than it currently is. Now, we, we only have about five minutes left, and I want to, you have some things that you, you want to announce, and, and, and um, we're going to get there in a second. But first, for, for listeners, um, this week is the Miami Book Fair. And so if you are in Miami, um, definitely check it out. Uh, if you look at our, our blog, Cyberlaw Radio, and, or if you go to webmasterradio.fm, you can see snippets of the uh, – I've, I've interviewed eight, eight authors already. Um, we aired Malcolm Nance last week, and, uh, but you can see them live in person, and there's a number of great books there for you to consider. So, um, but check out um, – we have with who's appearing what day on our uh, show notes – at cyberlawradio.wordpress. And, um, but Eric, you have some events you want to highlight too. Yeah, I just want to mention uh, to your listeners uh, two things that are actually quite related to the scope of today's conversation. Um, uh, first, um, in 1996, Congress enacted Section 230, and the first appellate ruling to interpret that case uh, is a case called Zarin versus AOL, decided in uh, 1997 by the Fourth Circuit Federal Court of Appeals. Um, and in commemoration of the 20-year anniversary of the Zarian ruling, which really is a monumental ruling, it, it casts such a long shadow over all of Internet law in how it interpreted Section 230, um, I and a, a collaborator uh, helped generate uh, 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 23 essays discussing Section 230, the Zaran ruling, and what it means for the Internet. Um, and so uh, we posted that at law.com. Um, it's not behind their paywall. It's available to everybody, and we do hope that uh, your listeners will check that out. It'll give them a better perspective on uh, what's been going on over the last 20 years and, and how we got here and where we're going. The other thing I just want to mention is uh, that we're having a conference here at Santa Clara University on February 2nd called Content Moderation and Removal at Scale. And the the conference was actually uh, instigated when I first saw the House bill, the SESTA Companion, and I said, whoever drafted this probably doesn't really understand how large internet companies actually manage their operations for dealing with content moderation removal. And so this conference, we will have the large internet companies sharing with us exactly what they do. This is stuff they haven't discussed publicly in an open forum, and we're going to have a chance to hear from them. What do they do? Why do they do it? And what might work and what won't work and their ability to do things in the future. That sounds great. Eric, we're going to add that to the show notes. I want to thank you. Um, Before I let you go, there's also um, two other things. Um, Brian Nappinger, who was on the show, um, he is the director of Nobody Speak, the, the the documentary about the whole Hogan trial. They're doing a they're doing a free screening Thursday in Los Angeles. Information's available on the show notes. And um, in addition, any of you Clinton Gore people on listening, I will be in Little Rock for the 25th anniversary celebration this weekend. If you're there, uh, hope to see you. But Eric, I want to thank you. It's always been a pleasure to have you. And um, if people want to f- follow you, what's the best way to do so? Uh, you can certainly follow my blog, blog.eric.goldman.org, uh, blog, um, or at Twitter, I'm at Eric Goldman. 
that's it. So we'll be back next week with another edition of Cyberlump Business Report. Eric, it's been a pleasure as always. And until next week, have a great week. This is Bennett Kelly. Check us out at the Internet Law Center, internetlawcenter.net. We're a full-service internet law firm. And until next week, this is Bennett Kelly with Cyberlump Business Report. See you then. The opinions expressed on this program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of WebmasterRadio.fm's management or sponsors. Any rebroadcast or redistribution without authorized consent of WebmasterRadio.fm is prohibited. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.